0: it is monday january 13th 2020 and coming up nfl 100 is down its final 14s we'll tell you who's heading to the super bowl in miami also we'll get to the bottom of mexit or whatever the heck they're calling it all that and more coming up this is the tune-up Welcome on into the show. My name is Denny Gallagher and I am joined by the snare campaign provocateur, the man who single-handedly took the rut out of Rutgers, it's Benny Horowitz.
1: (laughs) Uh, Denny, I know I was on fire last week about Rutgers getting their AP vote and then you saw them drop one to Illinois. It's not
0: (laughs) happening anymore. My dreams are faded. At least there's not gross mismanagement on behalf of your University of the Basketball Program. Let's we see. had a tough one in in North in on Saturday. Yeah, baby steps. Anyway, uh. nobody cares about our quandaries about uh, Mid-Atlantic, Big East, Big Ten, college basketball. Yeah, but anyway, so, what's so, up, dude? Yeah, wifey's
1: got me on a diet. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so we started this new thing. It's called like the Plant Paradox. Apparently, there's something in food called lectins that I'm not supposed to eat. <laughs> So, I'm no longer eating lectins. Lectins are in like most of the things I enjoy, as you can imagine. (laughs) So, I've been eating uh, like Brussels sprout hash and uh, avocado smoothies and uh, things called millet. And stuff like that Millet? for the last week yeah yeah you never even heard of it right I've never heard yeah, of it. Mi- i know like, i don't even know where she gets this shit like where do we go to the supermarket yeah, i don't right? even know
0: i don't think they even serve this at whole foods no, you know that is beyond whole foods where <laughs> whole foods is amazon now we're crunchier than that man we're, we're, we're going you have to You get even more organic see the way i kind of feel about like this like super organic stuff it's kind of like music there's like an underground band, and then they like start to get like sell a little bit more tickets. That's the way you go with organic yeah, yeah, food. Yeah.
1: That is true. It's like I'm not fucking almond milk anymore. <laughs> I'm like I'm like dried, uh, <laughs> um, fair trade millet. That's what I am. I'm like some underground underground. Punk That's actually rock almost shit. what we consider calling the podcast. Yeah. Fair trade fair millet. Fair trade millet. Da, da, da. But I mean, I feel like shit. I got a bad neck. I'm always inflamed. I'm always complaining. <laughs> My wife's like, listen, I'll do this diet. You don't have to think about shit. I'll buy it. I'll cook it. And I'm like, all right, feed me, you know? <laughs> so I've been doing it for a week. I'm definitely slimmer, and uh, things are coming out of me in a different way, probably a better way. Mm. But, oh, man, I miss everything I like. I want a
0: bagel so bad. You can't have bagels anymore? No, pizza. Oh, my no god. bagels. You live in... You might as well move. I'm I'm like 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 you can't live in this area now. Yeah, I gotta go to avocado land. I gotta go to California (laughs) now.
1: I'm turning into one. I might as well just get a hoop earring in my in my right ear and and head to California. You're already
0: you're (laughs) eating the lifestyle and you're not getting the experience the year-round 80, 80 70 degrees.
1: That's true. So, That's true. I'm almost like fighting myself. This is like a Sisyphean <laughs> task, being this healthy in Jersey City. This has
0: been the last tune-up podcast yeah. <laughs> because Benny has moved to California to bigger and better things. That's right. Oh, man. All right, Benny. So because we can't go from cold takes to hot takes, it is time for our Don't Fuck This Up person or thing of the week. Look at us. Look at us. Huh? Who would have thought? Not me. And the last thing I said to him, I said, look, man. Don't f this up for me.
2: Don't fuck it up.
0: Benny, who you got this week?
1: Well, I don't know if you've heard that my beloved New York Giants have found themselves a new coach, Joe Judge.
0: Uh, most- Our text thread about this was hilarious because you're like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs>
1: it took me a minute. I had to research him. Sorry, I'm not a up to snuff with my special teams coaches throughout the league. I feel we all felt the same way. It's like, is this Aaron's brother? Yeah, but I didn't know this guy, you know. That's why I thought they did. I'm like, Judge, they brought him in for name recognition. It's just going to feel okay. So, you know, I liked his press conference. He seems like an articulate guy, a smart guy. He comes with some pedigree. But these are my beloved New York Giants. Joe Judge, please, please don't fuck this up with my little angel-faced quarterback. (laughs)
0: My Don't Fuck This Up Guy of the Week is Joe Burrow.
1: Mm. Tonight is the
0: College Football National Championship, and LSU is the favorite, led by Heisman quarterback, Joe Burrow. And I have a plea for the LSU quarterback. Mm. Make the most of your opportunity to be great in your football career, because most experts expect the Bengals to take you first overall if that's the case, this is a one-way ticket to mediocrity at the next level. So, Joe, enjoy tonight because it may be the last time you get close to winning a championship ever again. That's not untrue. Not untrue. <laughs> this is like
1: some weird parallel dark black hole of the LeBron James situation staying in Ohio, you know? like Like, it's like the exact murderous opposite of that. What if he turns that team around, though? I mean, come on. He'll be a
0: god. See, here's what's sometimes crazy about like sports, right? That you can have this awesome college career. like You can make yourself. Like He transferred from Ohio sure. State to LSU, yeah, yeah. made himself. And what's your reward? You get put in an unwinnable situation for years to come as you wither away in the winter, the cold flatland of Ohio from September to January every single year. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, how many
1: times have we seen a, a quarterback who, could have had a very promising career and just got put in the wrong system too early and it never flushed out. Yeah. Yeah, going to happen all the time. Sorry, Joe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right, first topic, keeping it on the gridiron, our NFC and AFC championships are set. You've got the Packers heading to the Bay Area to take on Jimmy G and the Niners, and in the AFC, you have Derek Henry thundering his way into Arrowhead Stadium as the Titans take on the Chiefs in Kansas City. From a first glance, the keys appear in the Packers-Niners games, it will be how Green Bay's offensive line protects Aaron Rodgers against the Niners' pass rush. And on the other side of things, it's a tale of two teams. You've got your guy, Mike Vrabel, and the Titans, who will try to use Derrick Henry to keep the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands, and the Chiefs, who are a high-flying offense. Benny, what do you like next weekend as we head into the conference championship weekend?
1: Well, as you said... It's hard to go against a team and and, and to say they went on a 51-7 to run. When you're coming from a run like that, like, like they look dead to rights, right? Mm. We all thought yeah. going into the half, this team's dead to rights. And then all of a sudden, 51-7 run yeah. later, you're like, oh, who the fuck is beating <laughs> that team? Like, it's crazy. They look so fast. Yeah. I've like, I've almost never seen a team dart around the field like they dart. But then... I've never seen Derrick Henry do anything like he's doing. Yeah, it's insane. The guy is like this unstoppable <laughs> beast. That that once he gets a little bit of a head of steam, he gets any kind of seam, he can just keep it going. It seems like every time they drive the ball, he's got the ball eight times, and it takes eight minutes to get it through. So, like you said, the idea is to try to keep the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands. But in this last game, Tennessee was was very much being helped by field position throughout the whole game. They had very short drives. Tannehill wasn't asked to do very much. Um, And it's hard to imagine that same situation flushing out in this game. But Mike Vrabel, he put his penis on the line.
0: (laughs) That's a bold move. It's a bold move. And I'm sure
1: this guy's going to take every trick in the book that he has to try to pull the game out. But but this Benny, one. Benny, I need
0: to stop you right there and, and ask you a second. What in this world would you have that much confidence that you would put your penis on the line for? Nothing. 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 Or what would you want that much? Like, no, like nothing. Literally like, nothing. <laughs> nothing should mean the only thing I'd give up my penis
1: for in that context is like, oh, uh, you can either like lose your child or lose your penis. Okay, take my penis. But there's no professional effort that would ever like let me disavow myself like this. Like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'd rather be a a proud uh, man with a penis on the streets. <laughs> Than, than someone who, who who went that far. I, I don't need it that bad, you know? Um, but I do think with, like, the style they're playing with Tannehill, the only way it works is if it's, like, a Trent Dilfer-style game, you know, a total game management. But that would mean the Tennessee Titans are the Baltimore Ravens of 2001, which they are not. That is That, that was a, an all-time legendary defense. Mm-hmm. And the only way you get through – a Super Bowl with a game manager at quarterback is if you have one of these all-time defenses that can get somewhere. And is is Tennessee an all-time defense? Meh, probably not.
0: I could see a situation, though, where they have these long, methodical drives like like they've done the last two weeks. And it gives, I mean, as we've seen, the Chiefs don't need a lot of time to make it happen.
1: So much is resting on the fact that Derrick Henry uh, will allow them to play ball control. But his usage right now is this. he's had over 100 carries this month. Yeah. Like, I know the guy looks like Hercules, but, but can he take that kind of a load? He's literally, for him to do the things that he would need to do for Tennessee to win the next two games, it would be an all-time historic, heroic effort by a running back that we've maybe never seen. So not to say it's impossible, but it's improbable.
0: Yeah. And then to look at the other matchup, I'm excited for this one. We have Packers Niners for a chance to go to the Super Bowl in the year of the NFL's 100th anniversary. That's, That's right. awesome. It's beautiful. But the thing, like I said before, in the first game that they played this year, where the Niners absolutely Sh- just wiped Sh- wiped Sh- the Packers him. off the field, it was he looked like it, Alex Smith, right? Exactly. <laughs> and Aaron Rodgers could not; his offensive line didn't protect him at all. But if the Packers can get pressure on Jimmy G like they did on yes. R- Russ last night, Jimmy G, when he's under pressure, has yeah. been a little turnover-prone this sure. year. So, But I just don't think that the Packers have enough. The 49ers are a complete team, and the, the Packers very much are one-sided, I yeah. think. Yeah, I agree with you. It's hard to see
1: them getting past this defense. Like I was talking about the Chiefs' offense, this Niners defense just darts around the field. And that line is so fast. Uh, They get around the edge so quick, get to the quarterback so fast. Aaron Rodgers still has some feet. He can still, you know, he's not going to roll out too much, but he'll still step up in the pocket and create some time for himself. And it's, it's a, it's a tough one uh, to go for because how do you go against Aaron Rodgers in these big games sometimes, especially the way he looked last week? Like, He looked like he was, like, sleepwalking last week. Hmm. Like, I've done this so many times (laughs) that, like, I know these sets so well. I know where everyone is so well. And if this turns into a one-two possession kind of football game, you can't rule Aaron Rodgers out and the things he could do. Uh, But I'm with you. I I can't see him getting past this Niners defense. They're just too much. Bosa, Buckner, Sherman, (laughs) beasts. So what is it? What's our final call? Let's be men. I'm going Niners Chiefs. Niners Chiefs. I'm going to have some fun. Yeah. I'm going Titans Niners. Titans Niners. Yeah. I like that. I have a he- weird feeling about this Titans team. They're funky. They got these. They got you just th- want to see a man lose a penis.
0: I mean. <laughs> it, I... No, no, no. He keeps his penis. If oh, they wait. Want. He keeps, no, I, 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 I want to see he- the man keep his penis. I thought he said he would give his penis for a Super Bowl ring.
1: Oh, yeah,
0: you're right. Okay. 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 Vrabel, you're done. <laughs> you're done. All right, Benny, next topic. Let's go to the hardwood. And Kyrie Irving made his return to the Nets on Sunday in their 108-86 victory over the Hawks. Kyrie dropped 21 points in 20 minutes. Kyrie, quote, after the game, when asked about coming back, he was like, I really missed the game of basketball. I'm grateful to be out here. He was also asked about surgery. He was like, yes, it definitely crossed my mind. I... Wouldn't be honest with you if I didn't tell you that. But I felt with the next step in my progression is to get cortisone and see how it responds and then move on from that point. Benny, you at the game yesterday. In attendance. You saw Kyrie do all of this. But do you think it was smart for him not to opt for the surgery and then come back in a season that's pretty much a wash for the Nets either way? I mean, they're not going to win a championship this year. Would it have been smarter for Kyrie to refuel, come back next year with KD and really get this thing off the ground?
1: Now, from, from what I can understand about his injury, and, you know, I'm no doctor, mm. of course. But from what I can understand about the injury, it's, it's going to be a, like, pain management issue for him. Probably forever, for the remainder of his career. And I think Kyrie is trying to not take intervention yet for a number of reasons and the complications that can come from it, how long he would be out. He certainly couldn't afford to miss much of next season because to imagine that him and KD and this new pieces could come together and get to a championship level just magically next year, I I don't think is true. So the idea that this year is a wash, uh, I don't agree with. Um, I think the Nets need to make the playoffs They'll um, make the playoffs, like, and I think they that, need to have a good first round showing. I'm not saying they'll win because in the seventh seed, they might wind up against you know a Boston or, or somebody like that. That you know, chances are <laughs> it'd be a fun series, yeah, wouldn't right? it? Because I mean, if you see Boston fans on Twitter <laughs> every time Kyrie does something good, oh man, they are so mad. Just wait, so,
0: just wait. That's all I'm gonna say. Like, just wait. like when.
1: I mean, to to fuel one of the greatest rivalries, like to to respark like a New York Boston rivalry, this could really have some weight to it because they fucking hate Kyrie. <laughs> like like I see the sentiment online. And, you know, now he's my boy again, Jersey's favorite son. Mm. so so uh, i'm 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 backing him full, you know what I mean? <laughs> like he's got the full weight of New Jersey behind him now, especially after the comments he makes last night. So he puts out this showing last night. And this is where I don't even understand why people don't love Kyrie sometimes. He goes 10 of 11 from the floor, breaks his own personal single-game field goal percentage record. On the first game back, he runs sets with Dinwiddie. He's coming off ball, coming off screens, being the secondary option everybody wants him to be. The offense looks great. Bear in mind, this is against the Trey Youngless Hawks (laughs) last night at home. So this was a must-win situation regardless. And then after the game... Is on the mic in front of the whole crowd saying, Yeah, I love Vince Carter, but I want to break his net scoring record. And this, you know When is this
0: guy gonna learn?
1: No, no, no. No, this isn't learning. This is this is where I really do think Kyrie Irving is like so I really think he means it when he's saying it. This is where I don't think and I really think he meant that in Boston last year. The guy's kind of wacky, you know what I mean? And he does go back and forth that much. But I am buying it, hook, line, and sinker. He's talking about going to the games with Jason Kidd and Richard Jefferson and Vince Carter at Continental Airlines Arena. While he's injured, he's back at St. Patrick's, the Patrick School, coaching up his old team in high school. He's, he's dropping Continental Airlines Arena
0: references. The guy is everything I need right now.
1: Why are you so mad at that?
0: He wanted to play last night for one reason. He wanted to play against Vince Carter. And if he needs to do all of all of the quarter zone shots, he's going to do it. I just don't get how you can sit there uh-huh. after seeing the events that happened in Boston uh-huh. where he's like, I want to be here for life if you'll have me. He did a commercial with his dad where he's playing on the court with his dad. G- he, did, he did all of the things to be like, I'm going to be a Boston Celtic yeah. for life. And with Kyrie, it's kind of like, all right. There was this couple in high school that you saw, and she was like, I love you. He was like, I love you. They're like, this is perfect. And then stuff got a little wacky. Maybe she cheated. Maybe he cheated. Maybe they were both a little eh. So then you start dating her. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, oh, I love you. And you're like, oh, I love you. But in the back of your mind, you're like, when is the other shoe going to drop? When is Kyrie going to get wacky on the nets? And I have a feeling... Right now he's the center of attention. He's back home. He's got all the fanfare. Oh, it's so great! But you know, next year when Kevin Durant starts being in the conversation of best player in the league, and Kyrie gets pushed aside, when he here's when here's when the Nets thing is gonna go kaput. Okay. Absolutely over. Okay. At media day, when they do the pictures <laughs> for the for the billboards, and Kevin Durant is the person in the center and not Kyrie, Kyrie is going to lose his shit. And quite frankly, the fact that it's in New York, it's in Brooklyn, this is all going to blow up so magnificently. But what,
1: where's the truth in the fact that Kyrie has been most successful in his career as a second option? He knows it. Kyrie doesn't want to be the guy anymore. And Boston was, like, the great example of why. Kyrie cannot handle it. You know what I mean? Like, his body can't handle it. He can't defend in the way you need to. He can't be... The point guard who's leading a team, to but the this finals isn't about him wanting
0: to be the lead guy. This is about his own ego. No, this is I, about the same guy that put out Uncle Drew. This is the same guy that said, "I only want to do it for the basketball." After he puts out a, a movie like that, I don't no. think so.
1: Katie's Katie's taking it on now. Like, who? How is this viewed as anybody but Katie's team? And how does Kyrie? Because- how does Kyrie not see that? Before he signed and now and next year, Because Kyrie signed first and he's like, I brought KD. No, they came as the trio, as a banana boat. You know was a banana boat. Nobody's looking at it. And let me tell you something, Denny. Let me tell you something as an old man. Okay. Okay? You gotta learn something. Okay. You go into a relationship questioning somebody because of their past and that's in your head, you're never going to get fucking anywhere, okay? You got to go into something and choose to trust someone, okay? Yeah, but athletes aren't people. You can't sit there in the back of your head and go, hmm just waiting for them, waiting for them to do this. Because then you're going to act a certain way. You ask how I can fully take Kyrie Irving into the the depths of my heart? It's because I'm a Brooklyn Nets fan. That's why. And I have confirmation bias and starry eyes and blinders. And I want this guy to be great. And I want everything to be great. And I want next year the chemistry to work out. And I want a ring to come to Brooklyn. So I'm going to will it to happen with optimism. And, and, and this is really true, and I've said this for years. Even when Kyrie was in Boston, I like Kyrie. I do. He's kind of weird. He's sort of punk rock. He kind of fucks with people on purpose sometimes. And if we have Boston people listening to this, take it as you will, guy like that doesn't belong in Boston because Boston is a square-peg town and Brooklyn is not. And I think the people around here are much more willing to accept kind of a wacky you know sort of guy who's who's willing to show his moods and his emotions and get real and get cold and do that and boston needs kemba walker They need a company, man. And that's Because that's that's the culture of the city. And that's great. So we can even get into that. Brooklyn, we take him in. He's our boy.
0: Enjoy him not showing up in the playoffs after you said, all right, playoff Kyrie's going to be activated. (laughs) That's right. We got Dinwiddie. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Benny, we've reached the halfway point of the podcast, which means it's time for our dollar slice take of the week. So sometimes... You know, I see it
1: all the time at uh, at the playground when I bring my kids. So I got two kids, two and four. And, you know, at this age, you really can't check out when they're at the playground. You check out for like five minutes. Someone's got a tooth out of their face. Something wacky happened. My son's, you know, hitting another kid or some shit. We're not letting him go down the slide first. So, But I always see people walk in, close the door, and then they just jump on their phones and their kids are running wild. So... How about every city or park determines an employee of the playground, you go in, you hand them five bucks, they are responsible for your kids for the next 15 minutes. It's like a a rent, a, a playground chauffeur for your kids for a short time so you can play on your phone, do whatever the fuck you want to do without your kids maybe dying.
0: Here's why I think that's terrible, okay? Because you, that like the original idea sounds great. Yeah, I love that. But you know, because it, it would have to be in a city park, it would have to be a city employee, uh-huh. which means taxes for everybody. Like it, like like it's not like an eye for an eye. It's like an eye for like your whole body situation there. So I love it in theory. But damn, I don't think that would work.
1: I think I was thinking more black market, not a city <laughs> employee, just some guy, just some or a woman, just someone who hangs out there and takes the money and, and makes sure they're okay. Oh uh, yeah, I was thinking more of like someone who lives in the park
0: taking care of this. <laughs> All right, Betty, my dollar slice take of the week is this on Monday the Oscar nominations came out. And yes, there were some serious snubs like, Zero Women Best Director nominated in that category when The Farewell and Little Women were right up there with one of the best pictures of the year. Or the fact that Dolmite is my name and my boy Eddie Murphy. Completely shut out. Just just bye. See what a ya. good fucking movie, too. Right. Just watched it. And I think most moviegoers at this point are like a lot of fans of bad sports teams. They're consistently mad at decisions made by the Academy. But sometimes, you know, like when your team's GM sucks, you just have to throw your hands up and say, you know, they're doing the best they can. Benny, the Academy of Motion Picture and Science is an organization that remains 68% male and 84% white. And while I'm not sure what the age demographic is here, if I'd tell you Hollywood white male, that probably skews older, which I'm sure, in the case of the Oscars, both well for the entire cast of The Irishman, because it's the only movie that any of the people in the the Academy can be like, hey, they're my peers. So here's my dollar slice take, okay? Every year, they survey the demographics of the people who go to the movies, And make that reflective in Hmm. the Academy and the people that actually vote for this thing. Make it reflect gender, race, and sexuality so that it reflects more of the America that's going to see the movies and less of a Hollywood house party in Malibu. That's a great idea. That's
1: even barely a dollar slice. That's a $20 (laughs) slice. Gourmet. Gourmet pizza. That's That's got some of the mozzarella on. Yeah, it has got a little cold cheese. It's got a nice crust. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that. I like that. And come on, I got to... I got to push back on one thing again. Yeah. I cannot, in good faith, totally get behind the Irishman again after watching that scene of a really really old man beating up somebody in a deli it still fucks me up every time I see that scene and I try to watch that movie and get into it I watch him do that tiny little kick and I'm like that's not hurting anyone man you can't fake it you can't fake it that is an old ass body
0: not even CGI can they make should that. have CGI'd
1: it like that's what I'm saying they should have just went full in because I'm not buying it that shit is not legit and I watch Gangs in New York or one of his old yeah. movies And you you see the goddamn, you see the dirt under Daniel Day-Lewis's fingernails, that attention to detail where you're like, I am in this movie and I can't get out. Irishman fucked me up a number of times because of this. I I felt like it was a tip of the hat and I really appreciate the movie and the story and actors and all of it. But I don't know. It wasn't as fucking good as everybody says.
0: Also, the other one that wasn't as good as everybody said that people wanted also to Oscar love for was Uncut Gems. And I got to get on this again, because as these things are rolling out this morning, I get Adam Sandler should have been in the conversation, but I just want to pull up the people who got nominated in the best actor category. Yeah, here. who are you kicking out? Okay. Antonio Banderas, Pain and Glory, deserves to be there. Leo, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, phenomenal. Adam, Adam Driver, mm-hmm. That was a emotional performance and Marriage Story. Got to keep him in there. Walking Phoenix and Joker, I mean, that speaks mm-hmm. for itself. And Jonathan Price and Two Popes. That was an unbelievable movie. That was probably my favorite movie that I saw this year. So you're not kicking anyone out of I'm that five for I'm not kicking anybody Sandler. out of that. Heck, if anything, Eddie Murphy should be in ahead of that Adam Sandler because I'm full, always on the Eddie train. And, yeah, was it impressive that we saw a different Adam Sandler. But I I think if anybody else is in that movie, it doesn't work. But I also think that that movie, it's like a six and five team in college football (laughs) that is like, oh, we should make the NCAA championship. No,
1: no, it's ridiculous. Well, that's how you wind up with the, uh, you know, the green burrito taco bowl, (laughs) you know, stuff like that because of those six and five teams.
0: We've reached the second half of the podcast, which means it's time to go to the top of the fold. All right, Benny, we were just talking about TV this past week. The royal family got a little bit too real. Queen Elizabeth II has called a family meeting to discuss Prince Harry and Meghan's announcement to step back as, quote, senior members of the royal family, which got me thinking this week. Am I a senior member of my family? Anyway, (laughs) the meeting is scheduled for Monday, and they're expected to discuss all all of the stuff. According to reports, the queen will be joined by Harry, his father Charles, the oldest brother uh, William, and pretty much everyone who has any say in this whole thing. It's happening at Buckingham Palace. Benny, I had to put this in there because I don't think either of us care about it, but we're trying to get those clicks, so God damn it, we're going to talk about
1: it. You know, i my first thought is, like, what are the refreshments like at that thing? You know, what are they eating and drinking at that meeting? Like, it must be some next-level shit. The China, the good China comes out. They're trying to impress them to stay back in the family. They're like, you go to Canada, you're not getting this China, you know? I don't know like you said i, I barely give a fuck uh, my mom had a uh, a morbid fascination with the royal family and I always had like like die and Charles <laughs> stuff always around my house I she very much liked Shakespeare and literature and I think just attracted to the like kind of antiquity of it all and that's kind of the thing when I started looking into this situation I hadn't realized about the royal family is like you hear often people kind of uh mock, like, oh, this country has a monarch? That country has a king? Like, what is this shit? What is it? Were are we in the old times? So does England, man. And it is set up in the most bizarre way. So one of the reasons Harry might be leaving, right, is I've learned he's six in line for the crown. So that means not only his older brother is before him, all of his older brother's sons are before him. So that's kind of a fucking dick move six right on. coming off the bench. Six man. So he's like, this is kind of like, yo, know, Harry... He's like, this is my prime. Like, I can't, I can't put my career being the sixth man. You know what I mean? I gotta go somewhere and start. So that's what <laughs> Harry's doing now. He's trying to get a starting job in the world.
0: My column, Kyrie Irving and <laughs> Harry are exactly the same.
1: But here's the thing when I started looking into it, where I'm like, the reason we shouldn't care about this, and the reason what Harry did was maybe kind of cool is because the system they have in place in England is really fucking dumb. And let me tell you what it is. So Prince Harry was getting nearly $20 million a year from the Duchy of Cornwall, okay? Now, I had to look up all these things to find out what they are. Apparently, 95% of his money came from this. His father, Charles, is the king of this territory, of Cornwall, meaning all the people are his serfs. You know, <laughs> They're just doing his bidding. Uh, It's a crown entity holding land and other assets to produce an income for the monarch. So it's a private estate that's owned by the Duke of Cornwall, who's currently Prince Charles. So he owns an estate in England that uh, goes over 53,000 acres in 23 counties and basically just collects fucking money from it. Anything that happens on this territory, money to him. And the queen, she has her own duchy in another place in England where she collects from. Not only that, they also have a sovereign trust that is also given to them for money. So all this being said, these people are rich as fuck, born into it. And they're essentially like taking English people's money and putting in like offshore accounts and doing really shady stuff without anybody talking about it. And it's really funny how... uh, the pageantry and the food and the clothes and like like you said sort of the tv element of all of it makes you forget a kind of just the weird antiquated shit that's even making something like this happen and to top it off this whole system was established by edward the third in 1337 okay so this is how old of a model we're working on this estate as i told you owns that much land And guess what? The crown has a legal tax-exempt status because certain acts of parliament do not apply to it. Crown bodies such as the Duchy of Lancaster are not subject to legislation concerning income tax, capital gains tax, or inheritance tax. Furthermore, the sovereign has no legal liability to pay such taxes. The Duchy of Cornwall has a crown exemption and the Prince of Wales is not legally liable to pay income tax for duchy revenues. They don't even pay taxes. They're like, they're like the Catholic Church of the U.S. It is some really, really funny old stuff. So I still, after saying all that, have zero opinion about what Harry and Meghan yeah. are doing because I don't give a fuck. Yeah. But it is funny to look into this stuff and just see, like, I guess we we have sort of like a local and cultural bias towards things like this because we're so accustomed to it. But when you actually like something like this happens and you pull back the curtain a little bit and see how things operate, it's pretty wild. The fact that we're basically still living in laws and things set in 1337.
0: I love when people jump from sinking ships onto winning ships, i.e. Kevin Durant going to the Warriors. What Harry and Meghan did. All right. So Brexit's coming. England's going to be their own thing a island small away from everything else they're not gonna be part of europe they really have no muscle behind it what do they do oh i have an american wife i'm gonna move to california she's gonna do movies i'm gonna do a speaking tour this is brilliant i'm sure that's how they're gonna make their money they may have to pay taxes you know what i I could also see them Ending up if he doesn't la- want to pay taxes, Dancing with the Stars, just move to Florida. Oh, They're gonna okay. live in Miami. <laughs> 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 so there's not much of a a, a difference there. I read that Megan has already signed a deal to do voiceover work for Disney Plus. So go. she's winning this whole she's thing. Fine. She's she got fine. the princess wedding. She she's now now she's gonna be on Disney. But I think it's important to note if we do have any listeners from across the pond, this is like a very serious thing for them. It's yeah. kind of like if. Oh, yeah. I, I can't even think what the American equivalent is maybe the 2016 election but so yeah it's an interesting time for them but heck if they want to come over they they already do the speaking tour they already do all of the charity stuff they're gonna go from one way to get out of taxes to another because well that's their whole thing in England they're just gonna set up a nonprofit in America and and get all of this money and be financial contributors to the American political system. And I also think this is a brilliant long-term heady play by the royal family. Because well, at, one of the kids born in America and runs for president. Runs a president. Oh, and next thing you know, they're back sucks. in business, baby. Get that. It's gonna be yeah. the Obamas versus I don't even know what their last name is, but <laughs> it, it's gonna be the Obamas versus the Royal Family in like the 2040 election. And quite frankly, let's go. Good I'm fun. Ready for this. Good fun. This is great for the people that like to talk about it. I bet there's Vegas odds on it already. <laughs> Benny, we wouldn't be doing our job here on the tune up if we didn't stop and take a moment to remember Rush drummer Neil Peart, who we lost this past week at the age of, of 67. And man, this one hurts. As most of you that listen to the show know, Peart wrote the lyrics, was the stoic, showy, just maestro behind the drums for Rush for all these years. Benny, I, as a fan, love this guy, but as an actual drummer, what impact did this guy have on you?
1: Yeah, it's a big one for me. If you had to take, like, my trifecta of drummers that probably influenced me the most in in me learning to play drums and becoming the musician I am today, it would definitely be a mix of Neil Peart, John Bonham, and uh, Dave Grohl. And that's kind of like, you know, some... Uh, uh, heads carved into stone sort of thing. my drummer Mount Rushmore. but um I mean, essentially, every time you've driven by a car and seen somebody air drumming for the last like twenty five years, <laughs> there's like a fifty percent chance that it's <laughs> that it's Neil peart and he was a, a fascinating drummer, but you know, I want to get into him as a person first, which which, I think it's overlooked with Rush and especially in America, Rush can be viewed in a certain way, but like Rush fans know what Rush is all about. And Neil Peart was like the heart and soul of what that band was always trying to convey. Um, He had this strange way of, of inside of his lyrics mixing sort of uh, humanity with like science fiction and these overarching concepts to kind of, you know, make a different point. And it was all very, very smart and very intuitive. And it made me think a lot when I was a kid. There's even a song called Manhattan Project with a line uh, Imagine a man when it all began, the pilot of Enola Gay, flying out of the shockwave on that August day, all the powers that be, and the course of history would be changed forevermore. I was like 12 years old when I heard that line. I'm like, what the fuck's Enola Gay? And I even was, like, going to my mom to, like, laugh about it. I'm like, what are they even talking about in this Rush song? Blah, blah, blah. And she tells me, and she tells me the Enola Gay was the plane that was flying uh, over Japan and dropped the bombs on Japan. And this song is written from the perspective of the man flying the plane, you know? And it was, like, one of these things that I really connected to because... I've always been that type of person. i've I've been like a an empath where if someone's going through a situation, you can put it into context, I can find a sensitivity with anyone in the world. And I think one of the reasons Rush could connect with that was he was clearly that. You know, he he saw things from a perspective that kind of brought everyone into the fold and had this beautiful humanity towards it. Um, when you can actually put yourself into the perspective of a guy. Who just like pressed a button and killed 60,000 people and give them like a sensitivity? Man, I mean, that takes like a, a very interesting perspective to do. And he always seemed like an empath to me. And you can hear it in his songs. And then in his real life, it struck him too. Um, in 1997, he lost his 19 year old daughter and his wife within a 10 month span and and i you know i i always imagine that situation as if i was dealing with it because i felt like he was that type of guy who felt things that deeply and he said something in his book when this happened again just just to kind of plug in the fact that i you know this guy will be remembered a lot as a drummer which he should be but there is this like beauty to this man and this depth that i kind of want to encapsulate and he wrote after that happened, it was hard for me to accept that fate could be so unjust that other people's lives should remain unscarred by the kind of evil that had been visited upon me. And, you know, that's something like I walk around thinking every day, you know, like like why do some people have an easy ride? Why do some people have a hard ride? What is the overall concept behind that? And instead of like giving up and instead of like letting these concepts overwhelm you and letting life defeat you in that way the guy got on a motorcycle and drove 55,000 miles <laughs> and connected all through the world with like with different people and different things and and went on a an even deeper journey to like find himself and find some meaning in the thing he he felt no meaning towards and and shortly after he managed to write a, another beautiful sentence that said this when he was traveling he said i felt affection and gratitude not only for their help, but for their understanding, for simply knowing what I had endured, feeling for me, and demanding nothing more than I continue to live. And I just like read something like that. And if I could find the strength, if I could find like the uh, intelligence and the wherewithal to go through a situation like he went through and then take yourself out of it and almost force yourself to not only like love again and, and find love again, but also just be in rush again. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Go make records, make music tour, do all the functional things that when you have a loss like that become really difficult. So he became a little like reclusive with press and stuff towards the end. And, you know, when I'm hearing his stories, I'm reminded of the fact that like, I've done a lot of press in my life and half the time, you know, you're talking about some really mundane shit and you're talking about things you've answered a number of times. And I could imagine when you went through a journey like his with the type of person he is, he kind of just had no time for it anymore, you know, um, and didn't have to do it. So, uh, you know, going past the fact that his drumming and his writing and his creativity completely, like, shaped uh, a generation of, like, rock music and drummers in a certain way... I really wanted to make this point that I thought he was a beautiful man and and over the course of a band's career that long, you have so many times you can, like, fuck yourself with your crowd and your bandmates and, and different things. You have a million opportunities to say something wrong and do something wrong. And And Rush, one of the reasons that band is always so big is because they never have, you know? Like, the people that love Rush have never been given a reason not to love Rush anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's a testament to him and that band and just the consistency of, of what they did. And then in a lighter note, mm-hmm. Danny, yeah. to, to, to polish this off since it's kind of a bummer, mm-hmm. um, in 1990, my first concert was me and my mom and my brother. My brother and my mom, who were both members of the Rush fan club at the time, mm-hmm. which this isn't some internet stuff. In those days, you signed up through the mail you sent them a bunch of stamps and stuff like that, and periodically, you know, every month or two, you got a little rush magazine <laughs> with what they were up to, maybe a couple glossies, <laughs> a, a pic, you know, something like that, like the real fun fan club stuff. So I went with some super fans. This is my first concert. I was very intimidated. I remember uh, Mr. Big opened. D- does this does this age you out a little bit? They had a big hit. They were a super group. In the early 90s, I loved Mr. Big. I got to admit, at the time, I was almost more interested in seeing them. And then, I'll never forget, like, the lights going down for Rush, and I just smelt something. And I was like, what the fuck is that? And my mom finally had to tell me. She's like, that's weed. <laughs> I was like, oh, I've heard of that. This is what it smells like. Okay. Finally put that one together. Um And then I'll never forget, like, he has, you know, the big and circular kit. So literally, like, he needs to be like placed inside, and then the kit needs to be finished around him because it's a complete 360. And the guy's just going nuts. I'm like, you know, doing nothing but focusing on Neil Peart. And then they're playing, I believe, Spirit of Radio. And in the middle, boom, he stops goes into like a 20 minute long drum solo, like one of the coolest fucking drum solos, super fast, super techie. I'm, I'm salivating out of my mouth as a kid, throws his sticks back up in the air, catches them. And right at that moment, just goes back into the song. And it was like one of those like magical musical moments that I saw. That I'm like, Oh fuck. Like, I need to do this. <laughs> like, I got to try to do this. Cause this is the coolest fucking shit I've ever seen. And like, just that wonder. And it, you know, like, uh, that, that amazement of like, how did they do that? You know? And, yeah. and that's one of the things that really like wet the chops for me where <laughs> I'm like, this is an amazing thing. And once I started seeing live music and seeing people do it in person, it really, uh, it really sparked something for me. So, I couldn't owe more to Rush. First concert, one of my first loves. Neil Peart, big ups.
0: Just about running out of real estate on this podcast, so without any further ado, let's open up the Tune Up Mailbag. You've got mail.
1: So, Danny, as you know... In this ongoing John Frusciante saga, <laughs> I never realized I was going to rile up so many Red Hot Chili Peppers fans. I should have known they have a lot. Yeah. You know, pretty big yeah, band. Yeah, big, yes. big, big, good group. Heard of them. Big group. Big group. <laughs> so, you know, I'm talking a little more shit, and I get a message from Daniel Jones, not just another oh, Jay, wow. <laughs> who says, what? Clearly Benny thinks the Dave Navarro era was pinnacle Red Hot Chili Peppers. I'm like, come on, sassy Dave. That's not what I mean. But I sassed him more, and I said, what can I say? I think he looks better in a dress. (laughs) Dave Navarro and Kiedis making out in that video, I got to be honest, turned me on a little when I was a kid. What can I tell you? Navarro looked kind of sexy, okay? Kill me. And I tried (laughs) to get into it a little more, and he says, hey, Aeroplane and My Friends were some jams. I just wouldn't necessarily go out of my way to see Red Hot Chili Peppers again. But JF makes it more tempting. Uh, so, so the thing I'm getting again here is this idea that I don't like John Frusciante. <laughs> it's never the point I was making. He's a great guitar player. How many times do I have to say it? He's great. He writes the best songs. He's amazing. He's just a little flighty. And I thought that the Red Hot Chili Peppers deserved a little respect for the fact that they kept the ship going all along, and he got to dance around and do whatever he wants. <laughs> Sorry. And I'd like you to know, uh, Brian Fallon, friend of the show, he uh, yeah, friend of the show, uh, he he ran this by me. He's like, "What? You don't like JF?" And I was like, "Oh fuck, Brian, you got to listen to this." So I sent him the link with exactly what I said, and Brian said, "Yeah, I agree. I'll allow it." <laughs> so. I'd like you to know that BF is written off on my <laughs> JF comments.
0: And if you would like to uh, write off on the Freshante comments, you can email us at the tuneup at gmail.com, or you can tweet at us at the tuneuphq, or you know, d- slide in those DMs on Instagram at the tuneuphq. Racy. <laughs> this next mail comes from Stuart. Hi, Stuart. He says, Benny. KD and Kendrick Perkins got into a massive Twitter beef this week. Whose side are you on? Thanks, Stuart, by the way. Yeah,
1: thanks for the email, Stuart. Um, So, this is hard to pick sides, okay? Because as we already discussed in the Kyrie thing, even though Kevin Durant has not taken a shot with the Brooklyn Nets yet, he's mine now, okay? And he's under the protection of me and the Horowitz clan and New Jersey in general. But... As far as this one Twitter altercation went, he lost. And he lost pretty badly this time. I feel like he went after Kendrick with the, oh, you didn't bring it in that playoffs. You went two and three. And Kendrick just brought out the big guns and called him a chump for the Warriors move and said his legacy is tarnished and uh, any number of things. And even though they ended on what seemed to be an amicable note, I can't understand how two friends just got into each other like that on Twitter. And I don't see how Kendricks, the next time they actually see each other, they're going to get into this a little. So I actually felt a little bad for Kevin Durant this time. Usually I'm like, you have burner accounts and you're engaging with people on Twitter. You should you get anything that comes back to you because you're opening yourself up to it. This time, I was like, I thought he was just kind of having fun with Kendrick Perkins and he thought he was fucking around and Kendrick like brought it to a place (laughs) that he was not looking for it to go. Uh, So this time, I felt kind of bad for KD and I felt like uh, Perk uh, just got a little sensitive and dropped, dropped the big bomb when he didn't have to, you
0: know? Yeah, I mean, Kendrick Perkins lost this hands down. Number one... Katie's doing this for fun Perkins has turned this into a job yeah, like okay right. so like the moment when you take that professional step he he kind of violated the one rule that there should ever be for group chats he brought the group chats wow. to air of yeah. like ESPN to wherever the heck he's been pontificating because him, Russ and KD all had, had had a group chat. That's what he was explaining he, he on pulled, the jump earlier yeah, this week. He
1: pulled the D swaggy P. He move. brought it all out onto Front
0: Street. So, Kendrick Perkins, man, I love you. I've met the dude a couple times. So, dude, you may have won the Twitter battle, but you lost the overall war. I agree with that. Play ways to get in contact with the show, you can email us at vtuneupodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at the tune-up hq. You can follow him. At Benny Horowitz1, on number one in your minds, number one in your hearts, number one on Twitter. I am at Denny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Just
1: have a great week and everyone love everybody. This is Ben, the tune up.